How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 151 of X-Lapsed, uh, where we're going to read a book that, uh, despite not having any official King in Black branding on it, is uh, very much a King in Black tie-in book. Uh, we're not going to be talking too much about King in Black on this program, at least uh, I don't think we're going to be, but uh, we're going to start today by taking a look at Sword, Volume 2, Number 2. It's had a March 2021 cover date. Stories called In the Dark. Written by Al Ewing with art by mm, Valerio. We're going to say Sheedy. Um, colors, Mardi Gracia, Letters, VCs, Ariana Mar. Designs, Don Muller, Head of X's Hickman. Edits, Bisa White, Sabolsky. Cover price, $3.99. Went on sale January 13th of 2021. And we open, and again... We don't have any official King in Black branding. There is that big red spider on the cover, but uh, no branding. Despite of that, we right away open with uh, King in Black stuff here. Uh, what we see is a shadowy figure looking over a symbiote goo-covered Manhattan and telling a bad joke. And we're going to find out who this is by the end of the issue, so don't you worry none. I initially thought that this was the big bad of the King in Black event, Null, but uh, quickly realized that they... Probably wouldn't waste him in an X-book. From here, we get our double-page spread, a roll call, and cred. We're going to be paying attention to the following characters. Wizkid, Manifold, Cortez, Frenzy, Random, Mentalo, Magneto, Pybok, Sunfire, and Brand. Back to comics and back to the peak. Abigail Brand is checking in with the members of her six... And basically giving us, you know, all us poor, contextless, king-and-black avoiders the quick and dirty on what's going on. We learn that the Earth is surrounded by a dome made out of organic clintar, which is the stuff that makes up the Venom symbiote. This, as you might imagine, is a problem. Especially when you're on a satellite trying to communicate with that same domed Earth. And so we get a sit-rep from the Six. WizKid comments that Krakoan gateways appear to be functional and suggests that maybe they can find a way to communicate through them. Manifold states that since they have a Krakoan gateway on the peak, they might just be the only way on or off the Earth. And I mean, we are discounting a lot of other portals because as we're finding out, there are a lot of damn portals on that planet. Fabian Cortez is just chilling out, and he really doesn't like it when his sector is referred to as the Yellow Sector because he prefers gold. Frenzy and Pybok are in touch with the Galactic Council and are also trying to get a hold of Alpha Flight. Why Alpha Flight? Who knows? Uh, let's just be happy they don't get a hold of them, because that would probably be another book that we would have to uh, bloat this line with. Then the security team, which is headed up by Kid Cable, appears to be only static, and uh, we'll soon find out why. 
The final member is introduced as Mentalo. And he's currently sitting on a toilet, laboring over a bowel movement while reading a magazine about tanks. Wonder if that'll come around. Well, the tanks, that is. Now, Mesmero, uh, he must have been that redacted member of the Six from last issue, which... Gotta say, it's kind of a letdown, right? I mean, why bother redacting a goofball like friggin' Mentalo? It seems like, uh... Eh, yeah, it's not gonna pay off. Anyway, he and Brand get into a bit of a back and forth here. Uh, he suggests that uh, she might be his not be his biggest fan. And I mean, he shouldn't need mental powers to make that guess about anybody, much less Abigail Brand. Now we go to an info page, and it's some personnel notes on Mentalo from Abigail Brand. And uh, it's, you know, it's a look at his history and a hint that uh, she might have more in mind for him than even he knows. We next jump to the jump suite, where uh, the members of the crew are preparing to head through the gateway to Krakoa to, you know, lend a hand. Frenzy informs Brand that she'll be bringing Pybok as her non-mutant guest. And uh, don't nobody tell poor uh, Kane Marco about this guest pass thing. It would just break his heart. Now, Brand isn't so sure that this is a good idea. But Frenzy's able to convince her otherwise, as if... If Pybok, a representative of the Kree-Skrull Alliance, was able to witness mutants saving the galaxy from the alien threat of the week, it might buy them some goodwill. And so Brand gives them the thumbs up. Frenzy gives Pybok a riff on the old welcome to the X-Men, hope you survived the experience, because of course she does. That's a X-Men cheap pop number one. Number two's coming, and you'll know it when you hear it. Now, Fabian Cortez saunters up to ask where WizKid is, suggesting he's probably off wasting time somewhere. What he's actually doing is shooting space dragons, while trying to figure out a way to link a Blue Marvel portal to a Krakoan gate to facilitate communication. Back to the bridge, the rest of the sword reps prepare to head to Krakoa. And we've got Random here, representing the security team, since Kid Cable is nowhere to be found. Mentalo and Brand have another run-in, which ends with her asking him to read her surface thoughts and uh, look to look for something called Protocol V. Or maybe it's Protocol 5, because that's uh, the world we're living in now. Now, he finds this unthinkable, and yet Brand thought it, so I guess not. She fills him in a little bit on Null, and how at this point he's already murdered a dozen or so populated worlds. And so, they gotta stop him before he successfully does the same to Earth. We jump ahead, and now we're on Krakoa. And the Swordsers arrive, and the place is covered in snow. You know, there's uh, no sunlight peeking in with the big goopy dome overhead, so we get snow. We see Magneto, Banshee, and Sunfire fighting uh, one of those goopy space dragons. Now, Sunfire doesn't take too kindly to seeing a scroll on their shores, and so he attempts to show off and take the dragon down. He, okay, well, he doesn't succeed. As a matter of fact, the dragon makes ridiculously short work of him. He's thrown to the ground, both legs broken, and some ribs as well. Pybox suggests that he grow some wings to go and aid the fallen mutant. Frenzy suggests a fastball special would be quicker, to which Fabian Cortez just puts his hands up and says, I got this. And so he heads over to amplify Shiro's powers, which sends him soaring in a blaze through the dragon, and apparently either through the goop dome as well, or manifesting a tiny sun with his power, because after this, the sunlight begins to pour in. And uh, Mr. Cortez is quite pleased with himself. 
Next up, an info page, and it's more personnel notes from Abigail Brand, this time with a focus on our man Cortez. It's basically Brand recognizing Cortez as something of a necessary evil. You know, she doesn't really care for him, and not many do, and she would like to replace him with someone a little less problematic. However, due to his unique abilities, well, that's a short list indeed, and we're going to go through a few of these names to find out just how short it is. Now, we do get that list of potential replacements, and they're all kind of, eh, you know. We got Michael Nolan. Now, Michael Nolan first appeared in the very same issue as Apocalypse, way back in X-Factor number 5, cover dated June 1986. Now, he and his wife Susan, who is also mentioned in passing on this info page, uh, she would be killed by Stinger from the Alliance of Evil, they were heroin addicts. Uh, Michael was drafted in the Vietnam War, and this is where his powers would manifest. He could amplify the powers of those around him, kind of like Cortez. Now, you see, Nolan isn't a great candidate, as he, A, doesn't really seem to want to work with Krakoa, and B, can't control his powers. The next potential replacement is Boost. This is Morlock, a member of the Gene Nation, uh, who first appeared in Uncanny X-Men Annual 97, back in October of 1997 cover. Now, he's a power amper who is depowered by... Well, everybody's favorite, the Scarlet Witch on M-Day. Uh, he's likely since been repowered because he's in this list, but uh, the thing of it is, is he can only amp up one mutant at a time. Brand still likes the cut of Boost's jib and would like to consider him for the security team, just not as a replacement for Cortez. We got Mr. M. Now, Mr. M is an Omega-level um, Omega mutant who first appeared in District X number 2, it's an August 2004 cover date, and he has a whole lot of useful powers here. He is uh, he's a force to be reckoned with, as the Omega you know, label might, uh, might imply. Unfortunately, his current whereabouts are unknown, but the fact that he's being mentioned here, maybe we'll see him sooner than later. Now, the last potential replacement is our old friend Redacted. Uh, we don't get much. We do know that this one is a woman. And there's something having to do with whatever the hell a snark war is. Which, uh, wow, that kind of sounds like the most current year Marvel thing, doesn't it? Snark war? It's too bad Bendis is gone. This seems like it'd be right up his alley. Okay, from here we go back to comics, and we're into the hatchery. Now, Mentolo rolls in with his think tank, which is, uh, you know, he was reading that tank magazine, and his gimmick is that he, he had this big tank for a little bit there. And he does so to, I guess, rescue them? I don't know. He welcomes them to Protocol V, or 5. I don't know. I mean, the 5 are here, so it might be the 5. Back outside, Fabian Cortez and Magneto have a less frosty reunion than they had last issue. Now, Magneto's pleased that Fabes was able to help Shiro defeat the dragon. Cortez decides to uh, maybe play into this and attempt to buy himself a little bit of Krakoan clout. He asks uh, maybe for an audience with the Quiet Council about some changes to policy. Maybe some changes having to do with the flat scans. Which, in case you didn't know, uh, that's nasty mutant speak for human. Magneto agrees, which, I don't know, seems a little weirdish, doesn't it? Well, Frenzy watches this whole thing play out and paraphrases our theme song. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. Just then, from out of the gate, emerges a great, big, goopy, symbiotic hand. We flip the page and find out that it belongs to a venomized Kid Cable. And he takes us home with a, quote, To me, my X-Men. 
barf. Um, in case you missed it, there, there's the second uh, X-Men Cheap Pop. Oy. Well, that'll do it for the issue. Next episode, we have an issue of Cable that, uh, if I were a betting man, and I'm not, uh, I would say that it probably won't have him strutting around with a red spider on his chest. So uh, let's hear it for linear storytelling, huh? But uh, that's a discussion for another time. Now, let's talk about this uh, King in Black sort of, kind of, non-tie-in tie-in. Well, you know, I, I don't know that I'd ever say that I'm a exceptionally brilliant or observant fellow. I can get by. I can get by. Uh, but uh, maybe I'm not the most uh, brilliant person on the planet, but I can't be the only one who uh, has noticed that every single Marvel event is the same damn story, right? I mean, we have alien threats threatening to take over the world. They very nearly do. And then they don't. Uh, is this what the movies are like? I have to assume that this is what the movies are like, and this is what they think readers want to read four or five times a year. I don't. <laughs> and uh, despite really enjoying this issue, mostly because of the character bits here, I, I have to hand it to Ewing. The uh, He's killing it with the characterization here. Having a really good time with this odd and uh, you know somewhat obscure cast that uh, that he's assembled. But I have absolutely no inkling to dive into King and in Black after reading this. Uh, this just feels like this is just another round of Empire with a you know a different coat of paint. And while it makes sense for Sword to be all wrapped up in this, considering they are you know kind of the space team, I hate the fact that we're going to be wasting you know the next like three issues of this book that we just launched on King and Black stuff. I can only hope that uh, being a part of the crossover does something to zhuzh the sales a little bit, so at least there'll be, like, a reason for it. And, I mean, of course, that is the reason. We, we've we talked about sales charts uh, not too long ago on the show, and we know that tie-ins do uh, quite a bit better than just the ordinary book here. So, gotta assume that's what they're doing it for. I still don't really like it, uh, since... I mean, we're still learning these characters. We're still. Lear- I mean, we don't even know what their their main focus is just yet. Uh, we have a sort of an idea that they go and they get little MacGuffins from different little pockets of space and reality, but we don't know why. We don't know what it is they're looking for. We don't know what these things turn into, like these little weird shapes that they find. We don't know what they become or what their purpose is. And here we're just taking a uh, we're taking a three at least a three issue break from. The ongoing story that we just established to dip into some wider Marvel Universe stuff here. It reminds me of like when the Image guys were all trying to start their own little like pocket universes here, and you'd have like the big push for Wildstorm, and they would do like the Wildstorm Rising crossover, which would like launch like three or four new books, <laughs> and you'd get these brand new books like a Grifter volume, and like the first two parts of it'll be part of a crossover. It just it just doesn't seem doesn't seem like the wisest way to launch something uh, with an eye toward longevity. Which, for all we know, there's you know no eye on longevity for the sword book. It might just be a let's get while the getting's good and let's bloat this thing till it uh, until it bursts. But taking the uh, king and blackness out of it, let's uh, talk about some of the character moments in this book here. I think. Uh, I think Fabian Cortez is uh, kind of becoming the uh, Dakin Dakin of this book, where initially it was, you know, very, very off-putting and very annoying, but he's got a charm to him. Um, 
I'm really curious as to what his uh, new uh, potential policy against the uh, you know the old flat scans are, and I do like him. You know, kind of just being what he always has been, just like a real suck-up. He's starting to weasel his way back into Magneto's good graces here, uh, despite the fact that I think even Frenzy pointed it out. Every time they've associated, you know, Fabian Cortez has stabbed Magneto in the back repeatedly. And uh, maybe Magneto's a guy who likes to have his ego stroked. Maybe he is given Cortez just enough rope to hang himself. Uh, I think it's. I think either way, it's going to be a lot of fun seeing this play out. We had the uh, Mentalo reveal, which, if you guys could see my uh, my script for this, you'd see how many times I referred to him as Mesmero, even though he is most certainly not <laughs> Mesmero. But I've been conflating the two this entire time, just uh, trying to remember. What Mesmero did, and I mean, Mesmero and Mentalo are two different characters, so it's uh, a lot of my notes were just like really, really rubbishy because I forgot which one was which. But the Mentalo reveal here, I feel like, um, with a lot of the redactions we get in these books, because I mean, we do get info pages in just about every issue, and there have been a number of redactions along the way. And often they are uh, underwhelming, and they don't really deliver uh, like a like a big wow surprise. And this is another one of those here. I'm curious as to what um, what they've got planned for Mentalo, and uh, so far he's he's come across as just another interesting and uh, sort of obscure character. So I've got all the faith in the world that they're going to make this work, despite the fact that the reveal in and of itself didn't exactly. Knock my socks off. We also had the Kid Cable Venomized reveal at the very end. And I don't know if it's just because I just recently read the Extermination miniseries from a few years back. um, Shared some similarities, the opening pages of that, with this page here. So it, it, unless that's just me noticing a coincidence, it just uh, really... It told me that it was Cable right off the bat. So it wasn't too much of a surprise when uh, the revelation happened. Then again... I mean, his was the only um, communication that was static, so it stands to reason, especially if we know what we're getting out of these King and Black tie-ins, where it always seems like somebody's getting venomized. Uh, the only other one that I've read has been the Deadpool issue, where our very favorite, Jeff the Landshark, got himself venomized, and that was uh, quite madcap and quite fun, but... Uh, I guess the jury's still out on how Cable will handle his uh, venomization. I'm not even sure after reading the uh, the solicits for the final issue of Cable if this is going to be the Cable we'll be dealing with from uh, that point on. We, For all we know, we might get the old man back. So uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Um, overall, despite the fact that this didn't exactly make me want to run out and read more uh, King in Black, it did make me want to come back next time for more swords. So... Uh, I guess that's a that's a good thing, right? That is a uh, that is a win for uh, for this book and for this program. So, if you're not reading Sword, you you might dig it. You might just dig it. Uh, if you're following along with King in Black, you'll probably get something more out of this. And if anyone out there wants to fill me in on some King in Black context, so I don't actually have to go and read it, please feel free to do so. Uh, speaking of which, let's hop into the mailbag where people did reach out and talk to me. We're going to start with Damien, who's talking about X-Force number 15. He says, This issue makes me wonder if Ben Percy has discovered X-Lapsed and is responding to our comments. 
All the way along, I've been saying that the other characters would not let Beast behave as if, as if he is without criticism. And finally, we're seeing some pushback. I still wonder why Hank is being given absolute power by Xavier. It seems odd for anyone to be set above the five who are integral to the Krakoan project. Also, does Xavier have the authority to place X-Force at such a high position without a council vote? I can't imagine a mutant CIA being popular amongst the council. And those are very good points. I'm trying to remember if the Quiet Council has chimed in about X-Force, because I think that's where we originally heard the whole mutant CIA thing was on the, the floor of the Quiet Council. I don't remember the the bits and bobs of the scene, but I, I do remember they were they were there for it. But it does seem strange here that, I mean, X-Force can do whatever they want, uh, up, up to and including, you know, flat-out murder. So it's a very... Very weird here, and they can, like you said here, they can supersede the five. You know, they can they can move people around the queue. They can make take people out of the queue. It's uh, it's very strange here, and uh, the I believe this was an info page in that issue of X Force where the five were kind of just making their uh, objections or challenges with the current situation known, and Xavier's just like, yeah, it sucks to be you. Uh, <laughs> you do what Beast tells you to do, and. Uh, Ugh, weird. Uh, Damien continues, Colossus accepting his treatment is an interesting turn. He's never been presented as motivated by revenge, but I'm surprised he didn't smack Hank on his way out of the cave. And it's funny you say that because, uh, you know, I came into the X-Books, uh, 1991, 1992, where Colossus was basically a kind of a milk toast, and he was always, you know, just very, very sad. So this actually read... Quite well to me, just Colossus going along with what he's being told and uh, really just not putting up a fuss. I could almost picture him like all slump-shouldered walking past Hank and then just uh, going to sit in front of an empty canvas for a while while he, uh, I mean, he, he still doesn't see his sister out of the corner of his eye every 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 so often because she's alive again. But uh, that's the Colossus I grew up with, just someone who always saw Ilyana out of the corner of his eye and just... Uh, would sit in front of blank canvases while basically talking about how sad he is. Uh, Damien continues, Overall, it's one of my favorite issues of X-Force yet, as it's focused on character, and it's another post-crossover quiet issue. It's hitting some of my expectations of an X-Book. The art is also fantastic. I particularly love the scene of Domino and Black Tom on the beach. Kassara really is excellent. And yeah, the art here is is really, really good. I, I can't say that I'm too excited for... Um, a battle with a, a sea creature, but the uh, the path getting there was very very pretty to look at, and uh, that scene at the end in particular is was very very strong. And I mean, Kasara, uh, his worst page is excellent. So this was really really good stuff. Um, and you're right, this was another you know post crossover issue where we're kind of kind of letting the pieces get back into place and kind of we're like we're dropping out of that. Crossover gear and we're slowing down a little bit and we're We're trying to clean up what came before which was unfortunate that the crossover interrupted just so much But it was a goodie. It was a goodie. I can't say that I'm too pleased with uh, Beast's development And I'm hoping that there's even more push up, pushback to come Because I mean he uh, he got away with murder here <laughs> and I I don't like our heroes getting away with murder, no matter how they spin it. It just doesn't, uh, it's one of those things that's just never going to sit right with me. We just saw 
uh, the crucible issue of Marauders where Storm killed Kalisto. And, uh, of course, Kalisto asked for it, but it doesn't change the fact that one of our heroes killed someone else. I'm just, I'm never going to be on board with that. These, I mean, these guys aren't the Punisher. <laughs> it's, and I don't even like the Punisher all that much, but it's interesting. Now, Damien wraps up with, So until we discover that Beast has been mesmerized by a time-displaced J. Edgar Hoover... <laughs> Make mine X-Labs. Oh, thank you so much, Damien, for uh, chatting us up about X-Force 15. I gotta say, uh, the Reign of X books are starting out a lot hotter than the Dawn of X books did. I don't know if maybe maybe I'm just really, really tired from the whole X-Attends thing and anything else would seem, like, amazing, but uh, outside of Excalibur, which kept us in Otherworld, I, I don't think there's been a bad issue yet. And Excalibur wasn't even a bad issue, it was just... More Otherworld, and uh, I think we need a break from the place. Uh, but thanks again, Damien. Uh, next, we got Evan talking about New Mutants number 14. He says, This one had it all. Rod Reese art, Petra sober, Professor X being a jerk in an info page, Cosmar's back, questionable disregard for the value of life thanks to the resurrection protocols, and Scout practically reading from our mailbag. When you noted that the New Mutants had no rep on the Quiet Council, I wanted to nominate Scout. Or at least get a scene of her an Orphan Maker asking the Quiet Council the tough questions. I hope you're wrong about her impending demise, but it does make a lot of sense. Now, I, I hope I'm... You know, it's weird. I'm, I hope I'm wrong and I hope I'm right. Um, I, I, I don't know the Scout character or the Honey Badger character or whatever she was known as. I, this is, these are the first issues that I'm actually getting to know the character. I, I think the only other issue I read with her in it was the X-Men Red Annual where she was basically just a, a Jean Grey fangirl. She really didn't have much of a character outside of just being the just happy to be there character. So here, I mean, we're getting a little bit of depth on her um, and it's she's asking the really tough questions here and it's so crazy how a character that I just dismissed as being a silly, you know, haha, lol sort of random character is uh, one of the more grounded characters we have in these books because for them this is uh, a whole different sort of story, isn't it? Uh, we don't. She doesn't know if she'll be brought back, so death for her is final, and uh, so the stakes are real for her. Um, her f- entire fate lies in the hands of. I mean, the Quiet Council, and, and uh, you take the best member of the Quiet Council, and do you, do you trust them? <laughs> I mean, you'd think, like, maybe the one of the more virtuous members of the Quiet Council would have been Storm, and she just oversaw torture. So uh, I don't know that we have that much faith in the Quiet Council, and I don't, I don't think we're supposed to have much faith in the Quiet Council as readers, because, I mean, as Isco put it, in that recent issue of X-Men, these are children running a, a child's government. And it, uh, their naivete and lack of experience is really at the forefront here. So to have a character like Scout, and as you mentioned, Orphan Maker, asking these questions that nobody else wants to ask, probably out of fear that they'd look silly asking. So we have these characters who... I mean, Orphan Maker, we can, we can say Orphan Maker is kind of a silly character. We don't know... Everything about him, but from what we do know, he is—you uh, know—he's the one who wants to suckle off of a, a giant egg. So he's a silly character. But here, we have him asking questions like, "Well, if Empath's dead and he's back, well, does that mean he never died?" And it's like, "Well, no, he died. He just—this uh, just looks like him. So we're all going to pretend it's him." 
We're seeing like a whole different dimension to these things that I think we're just supposed to accept. And a lot of the characters are just accepting it, which is really uh, something special about these books where we get these things that, that we are, since it's comics, we take a lot of it on face value because it's comics. Ca- characters come back to life all the time, even without resurrection protocols. So we don't really even think about it past the fact that, okay, they're dead, now they're back. We take these characters like Orphan Maker and Scout who just have some questions that everybody else is afraid to ask. And it adds a whole different layer to it, and it's, uh, it's really, really wonderful stuff. Now, Evan continues... I enjoyed the Hickman space stuff too, but to me, this is the best issue of the series so far. Well, except maybe for number 13, not to beat that dead horse again. Now, 13 is the X of Swords crossover issue with uh, Cypher and Magic in training. I'm honestly not sure what I would say is my favorite issue of New Mutants so far, because I did enjoy the uh, the initial Hickman and uh, Reese run, uh, the one that was you know interrupted by the farm story. And I also really, really liked this issue. So, uh, and I didn't outright dislike issue 13. I just felt it was uh, some well-trodden ground just being trodden again. But uh, this was a very, very strong issue. Evan continues, Danny using her power to counsel karma seemed like a throwback to her job as a counselor for the initiative back in the day. Even if it was more coincidence than callback, it was a nice scene. Oh wow, I can't remember the last time I thought of the initiative. You all remember that? That post-Civil War thing? Ugh. Um, I don't remember much about the initiative, and I don't remember Danny being a part of it. Uh, Civil War came after House of M. Was she depowered during House of M? I want to say she was, so maybe that's why she was, uh, she was acting as a counselor there. But I, I could be completely mistaken. I conflate so much of that stuff from uh, the mid-2000s. Uh, Evan continues. Apologies if these two, these next two items have been brought up in previous mailbags. I'm on Marvel Unlimited release schedule these days. First one, did I misinterpret or did the intro suggest that the Shadow King is a separate entity from Farouk? Has this been addressed before? Now, I'm not really a huge Shadow King scholar, but I want to say that the Shadow King is not always uh, with Farouk. I, I want to say that the Shadow King was actually linked to... Was it Psylocke? I, I can't remember. I can't remember. I should have done my homework on this one, but I think the Shadow King is a separate entity from Farouk. I might be mistaken. If anybody knows better, please, please write in and let me know. Uh, Evan continues, Wolfbane spit, splitting into multiple wolves is apparently her secondary mutation. I had to look it up when they introduced her on Puzzle Quest, and that was one of her special moves. Maybe they should make a rule that only Morrison can give secondary mutations. That I didn't know. I didn't know that she had a secondary mutation here. Um, so that makes a whole lot more sense, right? <laughs> that uh, she was able to split into those wolves coming out of uh, the, the magic portal. So that makes more sense. So thank you for giving me a little bit of context there. Now Evan wraps up with, Until Scout splits into multiple little X-23s to form her own voting block on the Quiet Council, make mine X-lapsed. Well, we gotta wonder, would, would those multiple little X-23s be uh, subject to the uh, Resurrection Protocol? Uh, I, guess if they, I guess if they get enough of them, they can overturn that vote. Maybe we'll even have Madeline Pryor walking around the island again. But uh, thank you so much, Evan, for writing in. I really, really appreciate it. 
Now that's going to do it for today's show. If you'd like to write in, be part of the mailbag, or just say hello, please feel free to do so. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you could shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can also find X-Lapsed Origins over there. These are a series of articles about some seminal moments in X-History that are still relevant, or at least mentioned in passing, during our current year stuff. Starting out with an extended look at the early Captain Britain stories, uh, the Dave Thorpe into Alan Moore where we learn a whole lot about Otherworld, uh, Mad Jim Jaspers, the Furies, Saturnine, and of course Betsy's beautiful blonde British brother, Brian. So you can pop over to Chris's on Infinite Earths for that. There's also xlaps.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com where you can find all the uh, the archives for this program and uh, in a nice, easy, digestible uh, way. At least I think so. Uh, You can chat us up on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men, where we've just had uh, an influx of a few new members. So thank you guys so much for popping in and keeping the rest of us company. It's it's really, really cool to have a little community there. And for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can pop over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com or look us up on any of your noise aggregation devices and applications. We'll be there for you with thousands of hours of comics commentary content. But that'll do it for today, and as a plane flies overhead, I want to thank you all so, so much for sharing your day with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh